Hello and welcome to Talent Ed, a podcast series produced by the team of Chapter 2, the Talent Advertising Agency. I'm Leo Harrison, the founder of Chapter 2. I'll be speaking to HR experts, employer brand and recruitment executives to talk about the future of talent advertising. We'll be looking at the state of the market today and how it will change in the light of the coronavirus crisis. Today, I'll be speaking to an industry expert, Corey Archard. Corey heads up employer brand and talent acquisition for Collinson Group, a global loyalty and benefit business. Corey has over a decade of experience in the talent acquisition and employer branding space. I started our conversation with Corey to ask him where he thinks the power lies in today's employment market, with the candidate or with the employer. As someone who spent a lot longer in this industry than I have, I'd love to get your opinion on, on you know, how the transition of power tends to ebb and flow between the candidates and the employers. What, what's your take on it? Yeah, it's a, um, it's a really interesting one. I think the, the pandemic at the minute has given us a, a really kind of unique proposition that I don't think anyone has seen before. Um, loads of people comparing this to the GFC, but I think if you compare the GFC and what we're going through now in terms of COVID, the two are, are quite quite different. I think it was the Economist that said the other week that the, the levels of joblessness in different industries are going to be much higher than it than it ever was before, and that it's going to be effectively kind of tolerated. I think you know, COVID has brought about this um, this positioning where businesses are going to be a lot leaner; they're going to be a lot meaner. And, um, uh, and less sort of staffed up in terms of what they were kind of pre-COVID. Um, now, the, the, the market pre-COVID, you know, everyone talks about it being, um, being really, really candidate-led. Um, and that has flicked completely during this time. You've got all these companies now that are suggesting that they're, they're sort of scooping up talent by the bucket load. A lot of those businesses that haven't been affected by COVID now in a really strong position to be able to capitalize on all this workforce that's suddenly entered into the market. Um, so the, the dynamic, the shift has changed somewhat since, uh, since that time. But I think the one thing that you can't really ignore is that if you weren't set up to scoop up that talent pre-COVID, you certainly aren't now. And just because there's a glut of people that have entered the marketplace, it doesn't suddenly mean that you've just got all these available people that can be rushing at your door. Um, so yeah. it's really, um, I think, quite a unique um, thing that we are, we're entering into. And still, I don't think we really kind of know what the outcome is going to be of all of this. It would be, um, be super interesting if we could wind the clock forward in a year's time and whether we are still in this position where we've got um, higher unemployment rates um, and, a, uh, and a market that is still sort of teetering on the brink of, of hopefully, fingers crossed, recovery. It's really interesting, um, I, but I definitely feel from, a, um, from an, an employer's perspective, I think the power has shifted somewhat. It's more of an employer-led market. I'm hesitant to say that they hold all the power because I still think there is a balance there that needs to be struck. And again, I think if you weren't set up pre-COVID um, to be able to capture that and you didn't have your, your ducks in a row before COVID hit, you certainly yeah. aren't able to go just switch the tap on and, and have all these people running through your door now. It's just definitely not the case. That's a, that's a really interesting angle. It's something that um, hasn't actually come up in our previous conversations because 
Obviously, you, you head up talent acquisition for Collinson, which is a global uh, customer loyalty business. Um, and what I'd love to understand from you is um, you are obviously set up for a certain level of talent uh, exposure to be coming into your business. And what do you think this is going to do to the employer branding strategy? How close uh, do you sit to the employer branding team and strategy? Are you one? Are you personally responsible for the whole thing? How How is that? Uh, how is your employer branding strategy going to shift now there has been a, um, a, an approach, a close approach to the, 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 the employer branding market? Yeah, so I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm wholly responsible for our, our employer brand and myself and the team. Um, we dovetail really, really nicely with marketing. Um, you and I spoke a couple of weeks ago uh, about um, about this kind of unique position and where does employer branding sit? Does it sit with marketing? Does it sit with um, with talent, HR, recruitment, whatever you want to call them? Um, and we both kind of came along along that journey to say that aren't oh, there's a CMO in the land who gets super excited about employer brand and equally you know employer brand is all, it, it's not linked directly linked to revenue which is where all these marketing functions sit so um yeah for us i think where we've tried to take things and um I use the word pivot slightly to capture that moment in time i think is really important and from an employer brand perspective, we've been doing a lot of work um, to actually tell people stories about what they're doing. And we've equally moved our focus slightly as well. You know, you mentioned the point before about um, us being a, a loyalty um, or our business being heavily involved in the loyalty space. And retention is, is certainly one of the key elements of that. So we've been working quite closely with our internal comms team to actually work on telling stories that help engage our employees that are already within our business. Um, we think that's really important. Everyone is really dispersed and some people can feel kind of disconnected on that. Quite cognizant of that fact. We've run some employer engagement surveys um, to, to help us actually understand where people are, how they feel, to help that inform the strategy about the content that we then deliver to them. So there's um there's definitely a shift from our point of view. We're um we're in a uh, we're in a space that unfortunately um you know again that's why I say that the GFC and and COVID aren't comparable. We're in a space where um our business has been drastically affected and quite dramatically changed by the way that COVID has come about. Um, you know we're in um, we're in the travel space, or a lot of our products were in the travel space. In the GFC, you saw people traveling still. Here, during COVID, it's been almost like running into a brick wall. So it has stopped. So our focus has actually been really, how do we how do we shift our marketing efforts? How do we shift our brand focus on retention? And the important thing there, I think, is telling stories about people in their own environments. Because people are doing some really cool stuff. You know, suddenly, and Leah, you know this um, better, better, than, better than most, you're suddenly not just, dad, you're not just uh, MD of your own business, but you're also um, daycare, daddy daycare. You're also um, doing the schoolwork with the kids and casting your mind back to when you were doing it all. You know, that is really unique. We've had to change and everyone's had to change the way they've been working all because of this pandemic. So kind of capturing that and letting people know that that's okay in the way that they're feeling when they're juggling loads of different things that's fine. It's okay. 
um, and telling those stories so people feel some sort of connection between one another and know that they're not alone. They're not the only one that is um, with the left hand trying to um, keep the kids entertained or with the right hand trying to craft that email to uh, to the CEO. I um, I was on I was on a conference call um, and it was you know a pitching type conference call with uh, with a, with about six other people and and my son came to the window here and all I heard was Daddy play cars. <laughs> and the whole like that call just erupted with laughter and I think people are just you know have been brilliant in accepting the fact that you know yeah the, the, everyone works from home and this is home and this is my and, and the fact the way I look at it is this is my son's domain you know I'm taking work into my son's domain so I'm actually the one that's got to work a bit around him and be really understanding of him um yeah. so it was just so funny I wish I had that on a on a, on a podcast because <laughs> that's hilarious he's at school at the moment um, I want to pick up on a point that you made um, around using stories and using existing uh, people within your business, because I think that has got a huge um, um, opportunity attached to it when it comes to retention, as you've said, but also when it comes to attraction. Um, w- one of the reasons why I do this podcast is to help educate other people in this industry who are either coming up uh, the employer brand or talent acquisition you know, career line, or might be sitting there in a smaller business, not knowing where and how to start. And they might think I need an agency and they spend loads of money and all that, I need a film crew, when that just isn't the case these days. You know, I, um, I, I and, and the reason why um, I do this podcast is to help those guys and, and educate these, uh, these other people. And you've just hit the nail on the head. And, and there's a theme coming through here from the last um uh, podcast we had with Amina, who heads up uh, global HR for for Oliver, that you know when they want to um, um, uh, create retention and acquisition, that they, they can be almost the same thing. They use their listening technology. They use Pecon. I don't know if you've ever heard of Pecon. Uh, they, they use Pecon to listen on a monthly basis to all of what their global locations are telling them about you know what they want improved, what they think is great, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And they use that information and data to um, to respond. And one of the things that came up was that uh, you know their team in Germany um, were feeling you know, maybe slightly isolated, and um, they wanted to promote how much of a great place Oliver was to work in Germany. So instead of you know throwing huge budgets at it, they just did a takeover, gave the guys the opportunity to create some home film type stuff, um, film their own work, film their own day in the life of bring out the stories of what it's like to work for Oliver for these amazing brands. And all of a sudden you've got this like rich level of content and who better to sell your business than your own employees. You can't buy that level of media, you know? Yeah. No, that's, um, yeah, that, that I think, um, we did a similar thing when I was at Group M, um, WPP, we, uh, we ran a grad scheme and really, really wanted to capture, um, exactly what they got up to on a day-to-day basis and rather putting huge production value behind um behind a camera lens or you know getting a film crew in and, and doing something that feels quite scripted or disingenuous we gave them a phone we were just like go and capture whatever you like you've got a complete run of our instagram feed and it's the same now you know if you give people um the tools to be able to go and do something and give them the freedom, but it really importantly, you've got to give them the confidence to be able to do that as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. That is, um, I think that's key. That's um, one of the things we're, we're going through right now at Collins and we've put, um, we've put probably for far too long 
um, a lot of credence on high production value, um, you know, top end stuff, you know, where it's been polished or it's been reproduced and it just loses a little bit of that human connection. Authenticity, isn't it? Yeah. The word that everyone's using at the moment is, you know, how do you, how do you keep yourself real, keep authentic? Um, and actually those bits and pieces that people are, uh, are engaging with socially outside of the workplace, it's all the dances that people are doing on TikTok. It's, um, you know, all this content that people are posting naturally on Facebook about what they're doing about their day. And when you post on Facebook, or at least when I do anyway, the very few times I do do it, I don't sit there and write for, you know, half an hour and check it and script it and pass it to someone else. And, you know, you're capturing there effectively what is in the moment. And that builds far better engagement than anything else. And you know, a, a trap that I see a lot of um, employer brand agencies, who you, you know, you brought up with before, there's a lot of them. And again, you and I spoke about this the other week, saying where actually if I found an employer brand agency, I reckon I could tell you which part, which work they have done within a certain radius of their office because you know they've got one approach to everything. They've got one font type. They've got one... Uh, one video reel that they've sort of chopped yeah. bits and pieces in and out of. And that comes with a massive price tag. You know, yeah. If you're coming up and you're thinking about what to do now, and like like most people, if your budget has been has been cut and you're thinking about what can I how can I do more with less, grab your phone and go and go and film something, go and you know, go and um, sit in a meeting room and film what, what's going on in there, film one of your daily stand-ups, do something along those lines. And the honestly, the, the production value doesn't need to be there. You can do something that's quite low budget, doesn't cost a huge amount. It's literally everyone's got a phone. If you've got a tripod, get one of those as well. That's yeah. that's great. And you can script all of, put, put all of this together, package it up and, and roll it out. That's far more impactful than I think some of this really high production work that's going on at the minute. Well, well, let's be honest, right? We're not doing a John Lewis Christmas campaign, so we don't need to to to, to get to that level. And I think I think you're right. One one of the strategies that, that you know I'm really passionate about for Chapter Two, and when we go into into businesses, um, I I I the last thing I want to do is pick up a camera and start shooting something, or or get the drone kit out, as I joked with you before, you know, because because what you're going to get, you're going to get something that looks very close to a stock image, to be honest with you, and you can cover up that logo, and it could be anybody's work. Um, and you're absolutely right. You know, um, you know, creative directors do do have a, a, a methodology and, a, and a, a recipe for for approaching work, and and you do kind of see almost a carbon copy sometimes. And I've seen it. I could point out. I know what agency did certain certain projects, but I think one of the best ways to approach it, and what what you know, what we would do, what I would do in in that scenario is, if someone wants to save money, um, but they want to put out a good piece of quality work, um, and again, it doesn't have to be a John Lewis ad, but a good quality, authentic piece. Um, I would guarantee you that the marketing department has got a wealth, a whole digital asset management you know, library full of content that you can start looking through that's been paid for, is owned, you know, there's, there's nothing, there's no cost going to hit you that we could go and take a look at and say, actually, we'll use that, we can use that, we can use that, we can adapt that. And all of a sudden, you've got like a 50 grand campaign that's like five grand now. Really important, you've also got some data behind who that audience is that's already engaged with that campaign. It's how many yeah. people are engaging with that campaign that you could then flick over in and turn them from, instead of putting them in a consumer pipeline, they could yeah. 
easily dovetail and push into your your, your candidate pipeline. You know, yeah. the two are almost one of the same. If you, you know, we, we've got it as well. You know, very consumer orientated um, products. How many of our consumers are already? Per, um, sorry, how many of our employees were already purchasers of our products beforehand? So, how yeah. can you flick the two between them? And you've got, as you said before, you've got all that pre curated content there. Yeah. It's just using the data behind it to actually understand how you shift that from being really consumer focused into being candidate driven. And, and I think you know, and we again, I know we've spoken about this before, but a, a lot of the methodologies that people use to target consumers with can very easily be, transi- be transitioned over to target candidates. You know, we are just talking to human beings at the end of the day, you know? Um, and, and I'm gonna come back to a question actually. One of the questions I've got um, for you in your role, maybe in previous roles is, um, social media is not new, uh, but it is growing, you know? Um, and, you know, we've got our stable products like, um, uh, LinkedIn, you know, Instagram, Facebook, and people use these platforms for different things. You know, you'll see job adverts pop up on Instagram now, which you might not have seen three years ago. Probably definitely not. Um, ATS platforms are plugging into these social pla- social media channels now. Um, and now you've got TikTok. Um, and, you know, I know Twitter's been around with people using Twitter a bit more. What does your uh, what's your opinion on using uh, social media as a strategy to amplify the employer brand? And, and can you um, give us any experiences of how you've done it at Collinson? I think employer brand is a really good one. So I think there's loads of people that go through a pitch process with their employer brand agency. They get all their marketing team in. They get the collateral up and running. They get it all together, and then they launch it to their to their internal employees. Pat themselves on the back and sit down. And then they go, they revisit it in a couple of months' time and go, hold on, we haven't had any more people view our careers site. No one's viewed our careers page. And um, we've got no more followers on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, whatever it may be. Um, Half the work, 50% of the work is literally the creation of that. The other 50% is that distribution. And it's distribution in terms of um, being timely with that distribution um, so not using all your assets up in the first month that you've been given them because it's going to cost you another 40, 50, 60 plus thousand to build a new asset bank effectively to yeah. use. And it's being relevant and making sure you're relevant throughout that whole process um, along the way. So for me, social media is absolutely critical if you are trying to push your message out there. Yeah. That is, the, that is the, the main tool that I would be using to be able to do that. Um, and they'll be using things like your employee network to be able to amplify that message along the way and having them um, do things like takeovers, but importantly, giving them the power to be able to actually engage with that content themselves and use their own um, their own individual platforms to amplify any message that you're pushing out as well. So, yeah, for me, um, uh, Collinson, we, um, we're on that journey still. I think what I can probably relate with a little bit more was WPP got a or Group M, where it was at before, got a, a strong presence within the within the market, and particularly out in Australia where I was, they were I think the largest player out there by quite some distance. There was a, a you know, marked gap between them and the next one down, Bensu, and um, it was almost a bit of a, a taken for granted um, approach that people would would just come to them. 
And um, the way that some of the other people within that market were playing catch up was by being more vocal, being more timely, being more present and being more relevant. And that's one of the um, one of the real um, tricks with social media. It doesn't matter how much content you pump out there. No one is going to give a shit about the content that you pump out unless it's relevant to them, unless it, your brain just switches off and it filters it out. The spam filter goes on and it just goes into junk and you just stop paying attention to it. So social media is really, really powerful tool. I, I 100% advocate if people do it and, um, and they do it well, but be really careful about the amount of content that you pump out. Make sure, you know, think about whether that content is timely, that's relevant and always start with a why. You know, why are you doing it? Why are you putting that content out there? You know, and who is it trying to connect with? I, th- I completely sign up to your view that says getting the work done i.e. whether it be the career site or the content is absolutely only 50% of it. Distributing it in front of the right audiences is obviously the other 50% of it. Um, and you know, I have a saying that you know, the best place to hide something is on the internet. Because if, yeah. if you haven't literally established who you're targeting, you know, what groups you want to approach, uh, who you're tailoring it for, no one's going to find it. And even when they do, if that last 5%, if you like, um, if it's not authentic, their automatic brain spam filter is just going to, that thumb is relentless. It's just going to keep scrolling past um, and, and they, won't, they won't sign up to it. So coming back to the, the question on um, how, um, you know, coronavirus has in fact impacted the, um, the whole employer brand ecosystem. In your opinion, um, do you think that if um, I'm listening to this and I'm an employer brand manager um, at another business, should I be... Uh, reducing my employer branding budget because there's a surplus of talent? Should I be double downing? Should I be tailoring? What What's your thoughts on that? What are you guys doing? So we, um, we're being asked, unsurprisingly, like most people in the, at the moment, to do, to do more with, with less. Yeah. Which is, is fine. I think it's wholly achievable based on what, we, what we're seeing out there. The, um, <laughs> the first couple of weeks of this all kind of um, kicking off, no one really knew what was going on. You can you saw um, you know, jobs still going out there, and I think the um, I saw something from um, Pavel, the um, chief economist at Indeed, put out a post to say that jobs had dropped off at a significant percentage. It was I think he was quoting something like twenty thirty percent plus, and um, the opposite had happened in terms of candidates being available on on the market. Yeah, um, so you've got this surplus effectively talent surplus that are out there at the minute um marketing cutting through the noise is is probably the thing that i would be trying to do so if i'm looking at doing more with less it's actually being laser focused on who we're going after um and not just doing a catch me or campaign you know one of the really important things that people do um at this time of the you still put your your, your job ads up there you you don't if you don't do that you're running a selective process. And then everything that you're doing when you're talking about diversity and inclusion, which is another massive topic area that we could go on for days about, you are then ditching all of that by saying that we're only going to select people that we want. So you're not running a diverse and inclusive process from the word go. So put your job ad up there. That's really, really specific. But any campaigns that you are doing outside of that on Twitter, on, um, on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, whatever they may be, 
be laser, laser focused with that audience and um, yeah. you know, go deep into the data, understand who your audience are and target that particular type of person. Um, yeah. And then you, know, you drive your, uh, you know, hopefully the back end, you'll drive, drive better co- quality conversion. Yeah, and I think some of the language you're using um, is, is absolutely spot on. So, um, you know, one of the reasons why I quit my job in advertising to set up chapter two was because Oliver grew at an incredible, incredible rate every year, right? And um, we we didn't use, we, I mean, we, it was staring us in the face, but we didn't use the stuff that we were using for our clients to attract talent uh, to the business. And we were using recruitment companies. And, um, you know, we were paying 15, 20% for every hire. And um, at one point, I think we were spending hundreds of thousands every month on, on recruitment fees. And I just thought there's got to be a better way of doing this. And to your point, um, treating candidates like an audience and serving them up really relevant information they want to consume and understand keeps them engaged with you. Because when you're talking about, you know, candidates who are, you know, ha- you know pre-COVID, happy in their job, weren't looking, they're going to have a very small window in which they might have a bad day. Now, no recruiter is going to land it at that perfect time, that land that phone call uh, when that person's having that bad day. But if you are serving them up relevant information that they're digesting, they get to know your business, they understand what you're doing, you can talent pull these guys without the need of a recruitment fee. You know, I absolutely buy into recruitment and RPO from the point of view of large scale uh, recruitment. If you need to hire 4,000 people in a month's time for a seasonal uptick, absolutely, you know, go, go that route. But if you're talking about, you know, contingency recruitment and and building your own talent pools now instead of instead of hiring someone for fifty five thousand pounds a year and paying eight and a half grand fee do an eight and a half grand campaign and hire five people 100 percent. there's so much value in that is is actually looking at that um at that fee as a i'm not just writing it off as a, the cost of doing business it's not the cost of doing business you know there's a there are there are quicker ways to market i was almost going to say cheaper there and um, that you know, the word I would use is sustainable. There are more yeah. sustainable routes to market than than going down that world trodden path. And you know, people are defaulting out to to agencies because it's it's an easier route. Um, you know, it's easier, but it's more expensive. Um, you know, getting and building a really high quality internal team is a difficult thing to do. Um, you know, yeah. it, it is difficult. There's no there's no two ways about that. Um, but the thing that needs to underpin that, the way that ICTA teams operating more so now than, than ever before, is effectively as an extension of a marketing function. Now, I've, I've said it to my um, um, to, to my my boss. I reckon we are ninety percent a um, a marketing function and ten percent TA, and that's the way it should be because that ten percent should be really high quality execution. The 90% should be the work that drives the pipeline and drives actually at each stage of that individual pipeline. So knowing that you've got content going into someone who's cold at the top of your pipeline and that content is driven to actually converting them to the next stage and it's not doing anything else, you're not trying to drive acquisition right at the top of the funnel. Um, You're trying to drive um, understanding of brand and then further actually recognition of brand and then interaction with brand before you get to that acquisition piece right at the bottom. That acquisition piece at the bottom, if you could get a TA team that knew that you've got 100 people at the top of the funnel, let's say, 
and you move them all through and you've got 10 people then at the end and all 10 of those people are ready to have higher ready conversations with you. They're 10 conversations you're having rather than the 100 at the top and you're doing all the legwork up here to actually really kind of make this all work and bubble away. Whereas actually that eight and a half grand that you've just saved by not going out to that agency, that can be feeding your pipeline over and over and over again, not just for one, but for, yeah, just have five highs. Exactly. And, and it's not like the five, you know, that will be, that content will be there to hire the next five, the next five. And it's, and it's also, also it's every bit of content you put out there that's obviously on brand is further embedding your employer brand. So it's feeding each other. It, and the thing I couldn't understand when I was, you know, the other side of the fence, when I was a customer of this was, was I felt like I had like, a, a, there's an employer branding function and a sales function. The sales function was the recruitment team. So they're just not talking to each other. And you're absolutely right. They need to be completely embedded. Um, I always use a really um, interesting uh, example. Um, so towards the back end of last year, um, uh, I've always had a Fitbit, right? Always had a Fitbit, um, swear by it, loved it, do my fitness through it, calories, sleep, the whole thing. Um, and um, one day I got served up some content on Garmin, right? So I clicked it, had a little look around, Garmin found out, they pixeled me, you know, they saw I was interested, they served me up more content, you know, I got a bit more interested, they served me up an interesting video on someone who in, inspires me and Middleton, you know, and I watched the video. Next thing you know, I'm in their website, right? Okay, I'm on their website, I'm like, okay, now I'm looking at products, you know? And, and I'm looking at products and, and, I'm, and I'm suddenly realized these garments are better than the Fitbit that I had, or I prefer it, you know? So what did I do? I went and bought myself a Garmin watch. And there's no different to taking a passive client through that journey down the funnel into your career site and, 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 and you know, then, then changing their job roles. Because actually, you know, the, 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 the purchase is so much bigger for someone to move a job than it is for a, you know, a Garmin, a Fitbit to, to a Garmin, you know. This is someone who's going to hand in their resignation for a job that's been paying their mortgage for the last umpteen how many years leave their colleagues and friends to go work in another environment. It's a big purchase. And I don't think that many people, there are people out there, but many people see this as a, a life-changing purchase. Mm. Yeah, it is. It's a, uh, it's really interesting. You, you use the word, you use that consumer word. It is a purchase. It's a transaction that happens at the end. And we, um, there's loads of TA teams that you, you hear this buzzword say, or, you know, we're, we're very transactional, um, you know, we're, we're literally there executing on the back end. And what they actually mean is they're literally picking up application and they're literally just executing on day one. And what yeah. they're trying to do is find people that are available, ready now, the, the people that we would call the available um, and the active market and convert them. Whereas, you know, there's a, a whole, well, pre-COVID it was bigger. There's a, there's a big passive market out there. People just weren't understanding how to kind of tap into it. And that yeah. word transactional comes back to the forefront again there. Because you're, what you're not doing is, is setting that journey up to, to execute that purchase, as you put it, later yeah. down the line. And that's the, that's the piece that I see a lot of teams just missing completely. It's yeah. being focused on being really transactional at the, at the end. And just focusing on conversion. Um, and people talk about, well, you know, what's your, um, talk about your time to hire statistics or your conversion statistics at the back end. Honestly, I think they're a load of rubbish um, because you're, how can you, you can't quantify time to hire if you started nurturing someone before they're ready 
for that conversation. Yeah. That nurture campaign should be the thing that feeds that pipeline. And then you've got a hire ready conversation that happens really at the end of that. So it's, I agree. I'm just yeah. I'm writing that down actually because I I think uh, I think you're right. Time to hire is is a irrelevant um, uh, measure. I mean, it's a, it's a relevant measure if you're a recruiter and you have a vacancy. But no, we're not here to do that. We're here to to nurture an audience, serve them our content, and them to be interested in our business to want to come and work here. It's a race to okay. the bottom, otherwise, isn't it? Because otherwise, you've got you know if I'm um, if I'm walking into um, my next job interview, let's say, and uh, you know one of the KPIs is time to hire, and the guy's going well. Which time to hire? I'm like, well, it's uh, it's like 74, 75 days because we've got these massive nurture campaigns. He's like, well, ours is like seven days, so that doesn't fit with me. We'll see you yeah. later. Um, it's yeah. a race to the bottom. What's the quality behind the seven days that you've got there versus that seventy day process that's feeding that funnel? And okay, it's harder to set up. But when yeah. when do you when do you press go? Do you know what I mean? Because actually, if you if you're Content is an always on organic thing, you know, and, and if you're consistently actually nurturing that content um, and you, you've got this huge um, uh, following uh, of audience, people consuming the content you're serving up and they really like your business, but they're working somewhere else. Actually, do you know what? That time to hire could be like that because they're actually already engaged. So it all depends on when you press the start button to start timing it, you know, um, and I just from a content point of view and employee branding point of view, I just don't think there's it's not a start and stop. It's always on. You know, okay. Thank you. Um, so just uh, taking a look at some of the other questions uh, around COVID. Um, so I think summing summarizing our conversation, um, I think there's uh, definitely um, an, an appetite for employer branding people to uh, not shy away from um, double downing on employer branding through COVID. Uh, is what I'm getting from that. But they have to do it better for less, basically more for less, which is standard in marketing, right? And, and while there has been a, a huge glut of talent that's entering and going to continue to enter the market, I do still think, and I'd like to know your opinion on this, will there still be a war for talent at the top end? Because, you know, some of the top talent that sits in some organizations, they're not going to let them go, you know. So, you know, again, employee branding, serving up content to get these guys across is critical. I've argued in the past, I think that the war for talent, I think it's this sort of phony war. I don't really believe that it. It necessarily exists. Um, I think it's more war for attention. Um, you know, people are, are trying to win share of mind in there. Um, actually, what, one of the things that COVID has brought about is this time element to everyone's day now. You now I commute three three hours a day roughly into into the city. Am I getting up at a late time? No, I'm getting up at the same time. I've got three hours in my day where I'm doing doing something else, and that opportunity could be filled by serving up content to actually attract these people that we're in this supposed war for talent with and that that's the bit that i think a lot of teams need to capitalize on is that you've now got this ability to be able to capture people's attention because you the first time actually in their working lives potentially they've got time you know the stats are already out there that people are working slightly longer hours but these these hours tend to be more flexible. People are doing other things around them, particularly as we kind of come into the into the British summer here. People are out and about and they're doing things that are outdoors. But we could be um, doubling down on content in that time that helps actually drive engagement with these people because they have got time to actually sit and consume the content. So yeah. I um, yeah. So a summary: I, I don't necessarily agree that there is. Um, or there ever has been a war for talent at the top end. I think it's 
honestly a war for attention and it's getting those people's attention that um and consistently getting their attention as well so that's coming back to that point i was making before timeliness and relevance are really key there that drive that engagement with them um and that that's not a conversion conversation that you're going to have straight off the bat that is that's a proper nurture campaign yeah. that takes them through each step of that individual part of the funnel and um, that then ends up in a really high quality data-driven discussion and an acquisition discussion at the end where you actually really understand what they're buying, why they're wanting to buy. Ultimately, there are going to be a lot of people that, that, um, that end up staying where they are because companies are going to be really, really um, tight on, on letting people go. Um, but there's still going to be that movement of people at the top end that needs to be um, to, to keep the market kind of buzzing and to keep it alive. And um, I think where companies have, have sort of flipped, uh, certainly something we're doing at Collinson is actually more retention marketing. Um, you know, we do do a lot of this. We talk about loyalty for all of our customers. We're now starting to do it ourselves. You know, use that analogy yeah. of Oliver before, you know, do all these lovely campaigns for everyone else. And then you don't you do the worst one for, you, for yourselves. Yeah. We're starting to look internally. How can we run loyalty campaigns for us? Because we don't want to lose people, but you've got to give them a compelling reason to stay. Because if you aren't, they're going to be consuming content where they're getting compelling reasons to leave. Brilliant. Corey, thank you so much. That was an epic uh, uh, discovery session um, on, uh, on, on employee branding, talent, coronavirus impacts. Um, <laughs> Uh, so much. Um, and, you know, just like our last conversation, we've gone all day and I'm sure you've got a busy day ahead. So I just want to say really appreciate you taking the time out. Thanks again. You're very welcome. Cheers. Thanks for having me. Guys, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. There's going to be more of this to come where I'll be interviewing more industry experts in the employer branding and talent acquisition space. Please leave a rating and subscribe. We want to hear from you. It's available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast and SoundCloud. Stay safe, hope you're well, look forward to hearing from you. Take care.